the last days, as Paul was talking to Timothy. And we have the opportunity to be light and to share with others. It's a great time to be ministering right now. It can be a very difficult time, but it's also a very great time and an exciting time for us. And as um, I just want to exhort you, man, go for it. Whatever opportunities that you have, whatever the Lord lays on your heart, um, whoever that you have to minister to, and of course, not everybody's going to react to you favorably, but um, you have opportunity to be a light. And, um, you know, sometimes we get in such a routine, we get into such, um, you know, to where we got a lot of things we need to do. We got jobs, we got bills to pay, we got, you know, challenges, we got problems that need to be solved. But don't forget that the Lord desires to use you, every single one of you that are here. And um, as you leave here, you're entering into your mission field every single day. So be sensitive to what the Lord wants to do. And, and I pray that Jamie, and I know that she did, was a great encouragement to you tonight um, as she just shared with, you know, what the Lord is doing with her and what the Lord's going to do is they will be going back in July. So keep praying and, um, and we'll keep reminding you and, and letting you know uh, the other trips that people are going to be making so we can be excited for them and pray for them. Psalm 22, if you've got a Bible, let's go ahead and try to get through Psalm 22 tonight. That's where we left off last time at Psalm 21. Psalm 22 as we continue through the Psalms on Wednesday night. Psalm 22 is really an amazing psalm. Um, it's a prophetic psalm. Um, and if you do need a Bible, Jerry just grabbed a few. Just raise your hand and you can follow with us in Psalm 22. He'd be happy to hand you one. But in Psalm 22, um, it is a messianic psalm. And the reason that it is, as many of you are being familiar with Psalm 22, it describes Jesus on the cross. And it's just not those who are looking up at the cross, but what makes this psalm so unique as it talks about and describes the sufferings of Jesus, it is actually a description of him looking down, looking down on the events that are going on around him, what it is that he's thinking, what it is that he's experiencing as he's going through this great pain, what's happening to him. And so this is what makes Psalm 22 so incredible. And remember that Jesus, of course, died by crucifixion. It is David who is writing this psalm 800 years before crucifixion was even invented as a means of executing somebody. But in, of course, invented by the Romans. He writes this a thousand years before Jesus was crucified on the cross. So as we read this, we, we see what it is that Jesus was enduring on the cross. Let's begin to read in verse 1. The, the title first reads, To the chief musician set to the deer of the dawn a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and am not silent. So most scholars will tell us that it's difficult to know when David wrote this psalm. But this being a messianic psalm and, and how much of it applied to David's life personally, we don't really know. But the beginning words is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as you know that these are the words that Jesus spoke when he was on the cross. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you see, as David writes this, a thousand years before Jesus would say this actually on the cross, as the Gospels record, 
what was happening when Jesus said this is that all of our sins were being placed upon Jesus. At that moment, as Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Something was happening that we don't fully uh, comprehend or understand. We, we know that all of our sins were placed upon him at that moment. And that close fellowship that Jesus had with the Father from all eternity past was all of a sudden severed. As it was the Father, the, a righteous God, putting on the wrath that you and I deserve upon Jesus as our sins were placed upon him. You see, in the Old Testament um, uh, sacrifices, there were two words that were really important to understand what was going on. And one was transference and substitution is the second word. And what happened when you brought that animal as a sin sacrifice to the priest, that animal that was to be without spot or blemish, and as you brought that sin sacrifice, what happened is you put your hands on that animal and there was transference as you confess your sin. Your sins were transferred onto that animal, and then that animal became a substitute for you. That animal was sacrificed on behalf of you. Instead of you dying, that animal would end up dying. And so substitution, transference, very important words that, that were taking place there in the Old Testament, and it was an incredible picture and illustration of the seriousness of sin because of your sin an innocent animal had to die because of your sin an animal that was without spot or blemish was put to death as all of a sudden your sins were transferred on to him and you see that's what jesus did at this moment as he cries out my god my god why have you forsaken me all of a sudden your sins my sins were placed upon him as we know that second corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 tells us jesus was made sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of god through jesus christ the one who knew no sin, the perfect Lamb of God, all of our sins were placed upon him, and he received the wrath that you and I deserve from a righteous God. He was the propitiation, the satisfaction, as he took on the punishment for you and for me, a satisfaction for our sins, making that appeasement as he would die on the cross. He was making atonement. He made propitiation, and, and um, he is the one that has redeemed us, purchased us back because of what he did on the cross. And remember that Jesus died for you so that you and I, that we don't have to have that fellowship that is broken, that you and I can live, and you and I are forgiven, and we have not only relationship but closeness with the Father through Jesus Christ. But David is expressing those words that Jesus cried out. And he, he says, why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you are not here. You, you do not hear. And in the night season, and I'm not silent. Uh, when we are going through very hard times and difficult circumstances, we can feel like God is very distant, can't we? I think that's a natural feeling that we can have. Lord, why are you so distant? And that's what, for whatever David is going through at this time, is feeling. And why are you so far from helping me, is what he says. David is groaning. He is crying. But here's the thing for you and I to remember, that the Lord is near. That as we cry out to him, he hears us. 
He sees what it is that we're going through. And that's one of the things that we have seen going through these Psalms, that David expressing the hurt that he's going through and the difficulty, and, and Lord, help me. You are my help. And as he would cry out to the Lord, he would then begin rejoicing the Lord, just as we're going to see in this Psalm, because the Lord is near, and he does love his children, and he works on our behalf. And he continues here writing, but you are holy, verse 3, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. So Israel would find themselves in trouble and God would deliver them from their enemies. We see that in story after story of the Old Testament, don't we? How God amazingly delivered his people when they cried out to him. You know, we have been delivered from the greatest enemy Oh, we've been delivered from Satan. But the greatest enemy that you and I have been delivered from is the enemy of sin. You see, remember when Jesus was up in the Galilee region, that he was healing every kind of sickness. He fed the multitudes that was hungry. uh, And they came to him. And after the feeding of the 5,000, they wanted to crown him as their Messiah, as the king. Hey, we're going to crown him as king. Did you see what he has done? We'll never go hungry. We'll never be sick again. He'll overthrow the yoke of Rome. They were looking to be free from the political and military oppression uh, of the Roman Empire. And we're going to make you our Messiah. We're going to make you our king. And Jesus dismissed the crowds. And the reason was, is because they were only looking for a material political king. And there was a greater bondage that they were under than any bondage that a sickness or a disease can put on us, even as bad as that can be, or any kind of provision or financial situation. There's a greater bondage, and that is the bondage of sin. And Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to go to Jerusalem And I'm going to die for the sins of the world that you may be free from the penalty of sin. And you and I have been delivered from the greatest enemy and we can rejoice in that. And maybe you're here today and maybe you feel like you're in some kind of bondage to physical infirmities or maybe financial or maybe it's something else that you're facing. Know this, that the Lord has delivered you from the greatest enemy and that is sin. And he has delivered you not only from the penalty of sin, but he desires to deliver you from the power of sin in your life. You don't have to be ruled over by the lust of the flesh. You can walk in the Spirit. He will empower you to live for Him. And we can rejoice in that. And the Lord loves you. And His promises are still true for you. He desires to still work on your behalf. But here we see that David is crying out. And you have been faithful to us. And and then in verse 6, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. I'm a worm, he says, and no man. Speaking of being helpless, powerless, It's the lowest form of of animal life, isn't it? A worm. They have no strength. They they have no power. Uh, They, you know, just kind of lay there. And when somebody calls you a worm, it's not a very positive, you you know, comment that they're making, is it? It's a very derogatory term. You're a worm. It's like, oh, okay. So here's David. He's feeling this, but... Here is what was the view of others towards Jesus. Despised by his people. Isaiah would say in Isaiah 53 that he was despised. And we also know that it was in John chapter 1 
that he came into his own and his own did not receive him. So he was despised and he was forsaken and he was one that they would begin to mock him as we continue to read in verse 7. And all those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their heads saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. David's writing this. Isn't it amazing? He's writing, and this is what Jesus is hearing. They, they shoot out their lip at them. What that means is that they were ones that they uh, were, you know, just mocking him. And sh- remember in the Gospels it says they shook their heads. There was a lot of emotion as the religious leaders and the Roman soldiers also came along and mocked. And those religious leaders were saying, hey, he saved others. He himself, he cannot save. If you're the anointed one, if you're, you know, the Christ, come down from the cross. Save yourself. And they were yelling and they were waving their hands and they were spitting on the ground and they were full of emotion and hatred and yelling these things. He, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. The same thing will be done to you and to me. As we delight in the Lord, as we say the Lord has rescued me from sin, that there are going to be those that they're going to shake your, their head at you. They're going to begin to mock you. They're going to put you down and come against you. And that's what Jesus, all those who see me, ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their head saying these things. And you and I will go through the same thing in our lives as we make a commitment to Jesus Christ as we live for him. And Jesus experiencing all this that's going on in verse 9. But you uh, are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth and from my mother's womb, and you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. So here we see that David trusted in the Lord since he was an infant, and he wasn't not going to stop trusting the Lord. As he pleads for help, and then he writes, if there is none to help, he's implying, you must help me, Lord. You're my help. You're my help, Lord. And truly, he is our help as well. But I I find it very fascinating that David goes back to where I trusted in you. And it's interesting because we know that David's father was Jesse. And it was Samuel that came to Jesse's house to anoint the new king of Israel there in 1 Samuel. And it was the brothers of David that came before Samuel and the oldest Eliab was presented and Samuel thought, look at him. He's tall, he's handsome. Surely this is the Lord's anointed and the Lord rebuked Samuel, didn't he? He said, don't look at the outward appearance for I look at the heart is what the Lord says. And so he went through all the brothers of David and then it was Samuel who said, hey, do you have, you know, another son? And he said, yeah, the youngest He's ruddy looking. He's out there with the sheep. We'll bring him in. And it was David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the one who had a heart for God. And I think a lot of that was because when David was an infant, that as his mother was nursing him and rocking him or walking him, that I think that she was probably singing praises to him. I think that even though we don't hear of David's mother, that she was a very special woman. And I think that she would give the word of God to him and it would just be embedded in his heart. And he grew up as one that worshiped the Lord and had a heart for the word of God. 
and she had a very special ministry to him. And the point that I'm trying to make is moms and dads, parents, the ministry that we have to our children is so critical, so important that we give them the word of God, that they hear the praises of God from us, that we share with them what the Lord means to us and, and to be committed to raising them in the ways of the Lord. And I believe that's what David's mother did. I think that she was committed in that way. And the world may not see you. The world may say, what do you mean that, you know, you're doing this? And, and the world isn't going to applaud us for, for raising our children or our grandchildren in the ways of the Lord. But it will have an amazing impact on others as we do that. And no greater joy than this, that our children walk in truth, as John would write in his third epistle. So I want to encourage you in your ministry to your children and grandchildren. You keep giving them the word of God, singing the praises of God to them. Keep ministering to them the goodness of God. And you're going to see that the Lord's going to work in a wonderful, powerful way. But then we read in verse 12, many bulls have surrounded me. And strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I find this interesting. Here, as David describes looking at his enemies that had surrounded him and, and compared them to animals, to bulls. And a bull is a symbol of strength. The religious leaders, the Roman soldiers, were the ones that were in power. As Jesus is looking down from the cross, He's seeing them as bulls. But here's something I, I just want to throw out. I think it may be kind of interesting. That the bulls of Bashan were Canaanite deities. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, doesn't he, that behind the idols that there are demons. And could it be, could it be, that not only is it the Roman soldiers that were mocking Jesus, the religious leaders, as they were sh wagging their heads and shouting and shooting out their lips and, and mocking Jesus. But was there a demonic force that was doing it as well? And I think that's very probable. That the demons were mocking Jesus as well. Something that they couldn't see. Something that, that, that was only in the spiritual realm, but the bulls of Bashan as they have surrounded me. And this is what Jesus is seeing, and, and that's what it's being a reference to. It's something that's kind of a, a thought to think about. So here he continues, I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a posture, and my tongue clings to my jaws, and you have brought me to the dusk of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Written a thousand years before Jesus was crucified. It was a horrible way of execution. That's where crucifixion is where we get our English word excruciating. And here Jesus is describing what was happening to him. What was happening to him physically. He says they, they look and they stare at me. You know, one of the things that we know from the gospel narratives is Calvary was uh, right there close to the road. So Jesus would walk down the narrow streets of Jerusalem and he would walk out probably to Damascus Gate. It was the road, the main road that would lead to Damascus. And we know that the Romans would put the places of execution close to a road where people would walk by. 
And they would see it. And they would see that, hey, you don't mess with Rome because this could happen to me. So it was near a road. So they stare at me. People are coming by. It's busy because remember, it's Passover, right? So pilgrims are coming in from all over the place. And people are traveling. They're in transition. And all this is taking place. They stare at me. And, and then people mocked him. And the soldiers casting lots, you know, for his clothing. We know that took place. But then he talks about how his heart was, was raptured. He says there, my heart in verse 14 is like wax. It is melted within me. We know that when that Roman soldier put that spear up into Jesus' chest cavity and pulled it out. Out came the blood and water in its indication that he died of a ruptured heart. It says, all my bones are out of joint. Now, many of us, we've had one bone maybe out of joint, right? Or maybe you've had a knee come out of joint or a shoulder or, you know, an elbow. And it's very, very painful, isn't it? Extremely painful. Can you imagine all your bones coming out of joint? How excruciating that would be, the pain that you would feel. And so what Jesus went through, kind of an idea of how bad it was. But you, O Lord, verse 19, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. As he continues, David, to plead for help and deliverance, hasten me, help me, deliver me. Save me from the dogs, the lion's mouth, the horns of the wild oxen, from the sword. And then we read that you have answered me in verse 21. But you have answered me. And all of a sudden, as we finish this psalm, we see it goes from pain to praise. And I want to remind you that that's what the Lord wants to do in the pain that we go through in life. You know, as I read these psalms, we've only gone through 22 of them so far, written of David. As he expresses his pain, and it amazes me how he was to take that pain and he would turn it into praise. And I think, Lord, I want to be more like that. Lord, I want that work done in my life. I want the pain that I go through in life that I will still want to praise you. And that pain as I trust in you and rest in your love that I know that you're going to turn it into praise and you're going to work it for good. And so he begins to describe that in verse 22. I declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. Who will fear the Lord? Praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him, and fear him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard, My praise, verse 25, shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied, and those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. So we can praise him. For our salvation, right? Like Peter tells us, as we read in his epistle, that blessed be the God of, of our Father for his abundant mercy and to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter just praising God, writing to a group of Christians that were being persecuted. And we can, every single moment of our lives, praise him for our salvation. And then he continues, verse 27, All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. He is going to come back. He's the suffering Messiah, 
But now he's going to come back as the conquering Messiah, right? And he's going to come back and rule and reign. And I can't wait for that to happen because we're going to rule and reign with him. And so verse 29, all the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him, even he who cannot keep himself alive. We know that in Philippians chapter 2, that Paul writes about how he humbled himself. Jesus became a man, a servant. And became obedient to death, the death on the cross. And now he is highly exalted to where every knee shall bow. That is in heaven, on the earth, or under the earth. And will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now you and I have done that. And by chance, if there is anyone here tonight or listening or on live stream that you have not bowed the knee to Jesus, do it now. And do it willingly. In our reverence for him. He died for you. He rose from the grave. He truly is Lord. But the time is going to come where everyone, even those who have rejected him. Sometimes people say, oh, when I stand before God, I'm going to tell him a few things. None of that nonsense is going to happen. You're not going to say anything. It is a fearful thing to find yourself in the hands and the judgment of the living God. That's what Hebrews chapter 10 says. And there is going to be that time where you will be forced, those who reject Jesus, they will be forced to acknowledge that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And my prayer, if there's anyone listening that isn't saved, that indeed that you would give your heart to him because he loves you, has provided forgiveness and salvation. He is Lord. There is no other salvation. There is no other sacrifice for sin. And that he desires for you to have relationship with him as you acknowledge him as Lord. He wants for you to be a part of the family of God, to forgive you. Because Jesus went to the cross. That's why he went through all of this. Because of his love for you, specifically. To provide forgiveness and salvation for you. A prosperity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born, that he has done this. And here it is 2,000 years later after the crucifixion of Jesus, and we, this generation, we get to proclaim it to others. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for tonight and, Lord, just this family of God coming together and, and um, being encouraged uh, by Jamie's um, sharing with us and then going through this incredible psalm. And Lord, I do pray that by chance, if there's anybody that has tuned in to us that, or is even here, that you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ. He loves you so much. This is what he went through for you, the suffering, the pain. He was the substitute for you. He took the wrath that you deserve upon himself. He took your sins and became sin, the one who knew no sin, Because of his love for you. He was the substitute for you on that cross. But he conquered sin and death by rising from the grave. And he has declared his love for you. And proved it. But while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So if you've never acknowledged him as your personal Lord and Savior, he is your salvation. And now's the time to do it. Oh, the Lord desires to draw you to himself.
and to forgive you and give you the promise of eternal life. And you can pray right where you are if it means anything to anyone here tonight. That Jesus, you are my salvation. I acknowledge that. You are Lord and you died for me in an incredible way on that cross. You took my sins upon yourself. I believe that. And I ask that you would forgive me. And I acknowledge that you are the Lord of all lords. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. I surrender my life to you. And I call out to you. And I thank you for dying for me and for forgiving me. And I want you to sit upon the throne of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for dying for me in Jesus' name. And if anybody did pray that prayer tonight, I want to be here. Come up and tell me the decision you made. Or if you're listening on live stream, call me. But for all of us, Lord, we thank you that we can rejoice in our salvation day by day. And Lord, rejoice in the incredible work that you have done. Bless your people as we go our way now. And Lord, I pray that we would be a light to others. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?